Hey everyone, this is Laz Jackson of Detroit Bad Boys, and this Sunday's podcast is about water rides, Elon Musk, and the 4-2 and two Detroit Pistons, who look like a definite playoff team to date. Ben, Jamie, and I talk about how the starters look, the riddle at backup center, and what it would take to get Eric Bledsoe in Pistons Blue. As always, we appreciate your continued support of the podcast. The best way to do that is to share, like, and leave comments. Please leave iTunes comments. It's the best way for us to build the podcast according to what the fans want. And you should also follow DetroitBadBoys.com, the best place on the internet for Pistons news and analysis this season. With all that said, it's time to go to work. Welcome, everybody, to the Detroit Bad Boys podcast. Uh, I am your new-ish host, Lazarus Jackson. You probably heard me on the pod before, but with Jordan out, I'm, I'm taking over as host. Uh, right now, I'm joined by, by my uh, co-host, Ben Gulker. Ben, how you doing? Hey, guys. Good to be back. Doing great. Excited to talk about a pretty encouraging first six games. Yeah, me too. And we're also joined by, uh, by Jamie. Jamie, tell people who you are. What's up, Jamie Delancey, uh, also the most hated and celebrated Detroit Bad Boys blogger over the past <laughs> couple of weeks. Uh, happy to be joining you guys and, and talking about some Pistons hoops. Oh, man. Yeah, we're not going to have time to talk about your piece, but man, your piece would uh, <laughs> spark some interest. Yeah, really, really brought out some reactions, uh, yeah. which, you know, people people are entitled to their opinion. I was I was happy that it sparked a debate. Me too. Me too. It's good for the site. Yeah. But what we are going to talk about is how the Pistons are magically 4-2 and two through their first six games with solid wins over the Timberwolves and the Clippers in back-to-back games. Uh, we're, we are recording this podcast Sunday night before the Pistons are presumably destroyed by the Warriors, so we're all filled with very but, positive vibes of how the uh, season's going. Not and, destroyed by more than 14.5 points. I is think the, they'll keep it close. That's a very specific a number, Jamie. It is, it is. But I, I have a, uh, a a financial interest in the Pistons keeping it within 14 and a half points. <laughs> ah. No Draymond being suspended is not good for uh, your financial interests, I would think, in that case. No, but the, the a week ago, it, the spread was 12 when the Warriors took on the Mavs. Sorry to side note this real quick. Um, and they covered easily, but twelve Vegas putting it at twelve and then putting the Pistons at fourteen and a half just seems suspicious to me. Uh, I think Tobias not getting going last night is a good sign for tonight. Um, so I think we keep it within within t- ten is my pick. All right, that makes a little bit of sense. And like, yeah. yeah, that was weird that Tobias didn't get going last night since he's been so good. You know, in the previous five games this season, he's been really great this year, uh, leading the team in shot attempts. Um, shooting something north of forty percent from three, uh, Ben. What what do you think? How do you think? What do you think is different about Tobias's game this year? Well, the three point shooting is a huge part of it, and um, you know I, I've harped about this on the podcast for the last two seasons. Um, I think he's our best offensive player. I think he's our most versatile offensive player, and I think I, I think when he is engaged, the offense is much much more difficult to tackle. I think. When Reggie defaults to his sort of dribble, 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 
get an Andre Drummond pick and then see what happens, we get really stagnant and really easy to defend. Um, so I think keeping him engaged, I think the fact that he's leading the team in shot attempts, you know, we're only six games in, so one outlier like the game against the Clippers can sort of send all of these numbers in crazy directions. But he's taken 16 and a half shots a game. Um, before that, it was 18 shots a game, and I think that's the right number for him. I think having him engaged as sign of the, the focal point, the main option, uh, is the best way for the Pistons offense to function. Uh, the offensive rating so far is better than it was a season ago, um, about a point higher, which is a good thing. Uh, and I think Tobias has a lot to do with that. I think moving forward, you know, his shooting is going to fall off a little bit. He's shooting a ridiculous 48% from deep. Obviously, that's not going to continue for the whole season. Um, but my hope is that he remains engaged and uh, in the offense, even when his three-point shot falls off a little bit, because I think we're the most difficult to defend uh, when, when he plays that way. Yeah, I agree. I mean, you everybody read my preview, I hope. Um, aptly tighter, give Tobias the the blank ball. <laughs> I <laughs> think we could all fill in the blank. <laughs> yeah, and I really I agree with you wholeheartedly, Ben, that he should be the engine that drives this offense, which makes it rough when he got into foul trouble like he did last night uh, against the Clippers and... Blake Griffin is just a matchup nightmare. I mean, yeah. he, for, especially for our team, he was uh, just a wrecking ball. And in the first half, especially, the refs were, were a little whistle-happy, I would say, to put it nicely. <laughs> That's what he does. That's what Blake Griffin does, I guess. He draws fouls, and he uh, creates offense for himself and others. And that's part of why the uh, Clippers you know, struggled down the stretch, because the magic of Anthony Tolliver shutting all that down. Tolliver effect. Tolliver effect. Tolliver Beautiful universe. thing. Yeah. Yeah. But uh, in addition to the Tolliver effect last night, uh, we also had Stan Van Gundy saying that it was Andre Drummond's, uh, one of his best games uh, since he had been there uh, last night. Dre had 15 and 7, a um, couple blocks, a couple steals. But I think what was most important was that the Clippers only shot uh, something like 30% in the uh, restricted area. He was uh, He was active. He was engaged. He was keeping DeAndre Jordan off the boards, even if that meant uh, bl- blocking him out, which is not something that he always does a great job of technique-wise. But he was blocking DeAndre out, letting other guys get the rebound when need be. And it was just a really impressive uh, display of what he can be when he's fully engaged. Uh, Jamie, did you see anything similar, or did you see anything more than what I'm seeing yesterday? Another thing I, I saw from Drummond that um, actually – James Edwards for The Athletic wrote about it really well this morning, um, was how Stan's using him as like a point center in some sets and letting him distribute the ball in the offense. Um, I think he's averaging like 2.4 assists per game this year, uh, which, you know, for, for your big man, that's, that's a pretty encouraging sign. And he even talked about it after the game that he finds it super fun uh, in this offensive scheme to be able to distribute and, and get guys good looks at the basket. Um, so that, that to me, is a, it was a really positive sign for him moving forward. The effort, um, the defensive defensive effort, especially on DeAndre and on Carl Anthony Towns. I think Carl Anthony Towns' box score was a little misleading. Um, I think he, he won both those matchups handily this week, so I'm, I'm pretty psyched about his play moving forward. Yeah, I agree. As far as the assist goes, his assist rate, which isn't a raw number, it's not like he's he's doubled his assists per game, but his assist rate is up to a career high uh, 
uh, his previous career high is 6.0. So, you know, not doubling, encouraging. but damn near close, yeah. yeah. And it's encouraging that they seem to have turned the post-ups that were the really the most inefficient part of his game into passes, into uh, dis- uh, distribution of shots that are of higher quality than an Andre Drummond post-up. And even when he posted up against uh, DeAndre last night, he didn't lean on a hook shot. He used a move to get like a, a feathery layup at the rim or something like that. Like he he made the most of those um, positions on the court, which you know normally he kind of went to this like fall away hook that just was was not not comfy looking for anyone. So I think he's doing a better job of you know playing to his strengths. Yeah, I think the free throw shooting plays into some of that, right? That's mm-hmm. always been the thing is that. You you wonder if uh, if he wasn't shooting thirty eight percent from the line, would he be more aggressive with the ball in his hand? Would he be, would he be willing to to face up and attack the defense that way? And you can see now that he's shooting in the in the low seventies that he's he's more equipped to do certain things and he feels more confident in those in those moves offensively. It was it, I mean it was truly st- staying up late to watch the game last night. Uh, it was awesome to see him on the floor down the stretch in the fourth as the Pistons were hanging on to that lead. That, I mean, last year, that was we would see Stan call a timeout or something and put Baines out there because we were so scared of Andre going to the line. And, and you know, he's, he's proven that he can comfortably knock it down at least a decent amount, and it's not, it's not, a, uh, it's not something the opponent can exploit like they used to be able to. Yeah, definitely. Ben, do you have anything, any other thoughts on Andre Drummond? Yeah, I wanted to mention his, you guys have talked around this, but to put it in statistical language, his field goal attempts are down right where they should be. Um, So he's just under 10 shots a game. I think that's the magic number for him. If you look at his usage rate, which is an estimate of the number of possessions or the percent of available possessions an individual player is using. It's sub 20. It's actually 18.9%. And I think that's also a magic number. Uh, I think Andre is buying into a different role in the offense. And we've talked about this over and over again, over the last two years again. And this is a huge thing. This is a really important piece for the Pistons to be successful. Six games in, you know, small sample size qualifiers aside, if this continues, this is the best recipe for long-term success for Andre Drummond because he, the game against Joel Embiid aside, and maybe Embiid kind of lit a fire under him, uh, he's looked really solid. You guys have talked how he's looked really solid, especially defensively. Tonight is, an, is a test for him because, um, it, you know, the Warriors go small. That puts him in an interesting position. Um, so I think it's a good test for him, but absolutely so far six games in. Incredibly pleased with Andre Drummond. Uh, incredibly pleased with the way he's approaching the game offensively and defensively. And, and to me, looks like he's willingly embracing uh, a little bit of a different role, and I think that's a huge, huge positive. Another big part of Andre Drummond's success, I think, has been the return of Reggie Jackson to uh, normalcy. Maybe he's not as effective as he was in 2015, 2016, but he's definitely more healthy than he was last year. He's definitely attacking the basket like he was last year. Um, ben, you you got some numbers on that. His free throw rate's up, I think. Yeah, I think that's a sign of health. Um, last year, I mean, we all watched him play. We all watched him struggle. He couldn't get to the basket. His explosiveness just wasn't there. And I think when we look at a guy like Reggie who makes his living slashing, 
uh, free throw rate's an interesting thing to look at. A season ago, it was down to a career low, at least in terms of when he was getting big minutes. This year, it's back up to where he was two seasons ago with the Pistons, and the the specific numbers are kind of confusing to talk about rather than write about. But his his free throw rate is up, and to me that says he's getting to the basket and he's not shying away from contact, and I think that's going to make him a more efficient player. If you look at some of the all-in-one box score numbers, like if you look at win shares or win produced, um, they're also way up. He's actually a career high for win shares right now. That's what I have in front of me at the moment. His defensive rebounding is driving some of that. Um, He was always a really good defensive rebounder in Oklahoma City, and that's one thing he hasn't done particularly well here in Detroit, and some of that's probably diminishing returns um, because he's playing next to one of the best rebounders in the game and, and Andre Drummond. But I'm a big fan of defensive rebounding. It's an important part of defense, and I, I like to see all my guys engaged in that. So I think that's a good thing as well. Um, but, yeah, the free throw rate to me is exciting. It, to me, signals that he's healthier, maybe not 100%, but healthier. Um, and I, I'm excited about that because that means he's getting to the basket it's giving him opportunities, and it's giving him opportunities for dump-offs and, and additional assists as well. Yeah. I'm, I was excited to see the uh, the NBA Math Twitter account tweets out, um, you know, oh, where people are. So good. In regards to, yes, and he was he was above average. Or yep. He was above zero on both offense and defense, which is just mind-boggling. You know, he was so bad offensively last year, and he's always been kind of a turnstile defensively in Detroit. And so to see him in positive in both areas is just – crazy right Jamie yeah I I was gonna say last night that's that was one thing that stood out to me against uh, the Clippers is how he played Patrick Beverly Um, you know Beverly is notorious for kind of getting chippy with guys and staying up in them and Reggie was right there with them kind of drawn back and and played really really solid D on him I mean Austin Rivers getting 20 points that's I, I don't know what to say about that but I think Reggie's D was has been a really encouraging sign yeah, I will say last night he did. Uh, Reggie did kind of lapse into a little bit of the hero ball that he has in the past. Uh, it worked, I think, like two out of the three possessions. He had a, a bad floater. He had that one really ugly uh, shot clock violation where he tried the underhand flip that he made in Chicago, and it didn't work this time. SVG almost had a conniption fit at looking at that possession. Luckily, it was late enough to where I think like running 24 seconds was was in and of itself was pretty valuable. But if they're if they're down in a situation like that and he pulls something similar, like that's not great. And so I think no matter what, last night you're you're not going to be worse than Avery Bradley missing a wide open dunk. I mean, <laughs> so I I think Reggie can take solace <laughs> in that. That's fair. That's fair. Oh man, did you see uh, Tobias's Instagram? After the game, no, he was in, he was interviewing Avery on how it felt <laughs> to be uh, a future Shaq and the Fool nominee. It was so embarrassing to get the Sports Center alert on my phone, just not top ten. Avery Bradley, I was like, oh man, they're they're too quick with it. I was hoping it would get buried by someone else. Oh man, I so I did not watch this game live, unfortunately, but uh, I did wake up in the morning and watch the uh, the replay. But I did get a tweet from a friend of mine last night saying, like, oh, God, Avery Bradley. And so I was, like, waiting for it the entire game, the f- entire first half. I'm like, oh, well, what's going to happen? What's going to happen? <laughs> that's almost worse than seeing it live, I, I have to say. Just that impending dread of Avery Bradley's going to screw up somehow. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, but he's been, he's been not bad. 
so far this year, I think. Um, he has the Rip Hamilton tendency to kind of come off screens and shoot long twos, which worked in 2004, but it's 2017. And you kind of hoped he would turn some of those shots into layups or threes. But uh, otherwise, I'm, I'm pretty happy with the level of effort and the level of uh, intensity that he brings defensively that seems to raise it for everybody else. Totally agree, yeah. especially Stanley Johnson. When he's on the floor with AB, you can tell they kind of feed off each other. You know the long twos? They're, they're just filling my Marcus Morris void. Yeah, so I'm, <laughs> I'm totally fine with that. Keep shooting those long twos. Let me just keep dreaming of Marcus Morris taking people down one-on-one with those long mid-range fadeaways. It's it's perfect. Like, we traded him just so we could get rid of those, Jamie. No. Why? No. We got to keep him. It's it's our patented, patented uh, shot selection. I think we were number one in the league last year. Let's keep it going. Oh, man. <laughs> but, no, you're right. He does raise the level of Stanley Johnson's defense when they're on the floor together. And, you know, Stanley's been playing better this year, I think. It's hard to tell uh, numerically because, you know, there's we've still only played six games. That's not a terribly representative sample. But if you erase the Charlotte game where he went 0 for 13, and, you know, you can attribute a lot of that to nerves, I think. Uh, he's shooting 50-30-80 for the season, which is not bad, 30, you'd like him to shoot a little bit better than 31% from three. But I would take 50% from the floor and 80% from the stripe from Stanley this year. Would you, Ben? Oh, absolutely. I mean, there's no question about it. I agree that if you, to be fair to him, you can you can drop the low and the high, right? So you drop that ridiculously low Charlotte game when you have only six games to work with. But the the way that I'll continue thinking about Stanley is... Until he puts that together for 20 games consecutively, you know, like, or not consecutively, but consistently, because you're going to have an off night over the course of 20 games. But until he puts that together consistently for 20 games, I'm still a skeptic. And, you know, like you look at his shooting numbers as a whole this season, they're exactly where he's been throughout his entire career, right? I mean, he's shooting 22% from deep, 35% from the field. Like, that's just nowhere close to good enough, unless you're holding the guy you're, you know, you're defending to the same numbers. And, and that's going to be really hard to do over the course of 82 games because everyone who plays in the NBA is good. So he's still got a lot to prove to me, um, particularly shooting the ball. I agree that he looks more comfortable. He looks more confident. And we talked about this in the preview. He doesn't have the super short leash, right? Because there isn't a great option behind him as of yet. Although Galloway has played fantastic basketball so far. So yeah, still a lot of work to do to make me a believer uh, because the, the shooting right now is just so bad. But there's definitely some some positive signs to make to make me think that maybe he's gonna get there, especially if you throw that Charlotte game out last the way you talked about. I mean, I think now that Reggie Bullock is back from his suspension, that there is kind of a backup small forward on the roster, and that that'll help a little bit with regards to. Uh, some of the weird three-guard lineups that Stan, that's SVG was forced to play earlier in the season. But I do think that him knowing that he's a starter and knowing that he's going to be a starter going forward, having that confidence does a lot for him. Right, Jamie? Yeah, and I think he does have a longer leash, but like we saw in the Philly game, like his, his body language was terrible, and, and the energy level just wasn't what it was on defense the first couple games. And SVG sat him down right away. Like, let him know that's unacceptable. And, and you didn't see him for much the rest of the game. And then Minnesota and L.A., it came back, his defensive effort. So I think SVG is doing a good job of kind of giving him a longer leash but also keeping him in check because he still is, like, 
21, 20 years old. So you still got to go through those kind of bumps. So that's all the starters. We've gone through how all the starters have looked so far. To me, I guess, if we're going to talk about the bench, the one really notable thing is that we haven't seen Boban yet. And I know that that's really painful for you, Ben, because... Ben, yeah. real quick, did I not call this? Just just say it. Just say it. I called it in the preview. Yeah, you called. we know. both agreed that he would probably be the odd man out. You called that he would be a bust. So I would separate those two things out. He hasn't had a chance <laughs> to be a bust. He's only played, what, like what, four minutes, something stupid like that? That's an incredible spin that you can't be a bust if you never get a chance to see the floor. I, I you got to tell Greg Oden that because that's amazing. Yeah, but he, Greg Oden, <laughs> Boban has been <laughs> not given the opportunity for a season and and change, right? Six games, but to me, like who's bet? I mean, the Pistons are four and two, so it's hard to complain. I mean, if they keep winning like this, then my concerns about Boban are just. You know, they're just financial one fan who... No, they're not even financial. They're just one fan who would like to see a pet player play. But to me, who's better than him, right? Like, so so Tolliver is better defensively at the four, obviously, but Boban doesn't play the four. Moreland has been a joke. Like, he literally does not do anything when he's out there. Uh, Luer has not been particularly good at anything on either side. Luer is well. So, I don't know. I just don't get it. I... He's the guy who I would, again, use 50 games out of the, the year when the matchups are potentially favorable. So, yeah, it's a bummer for me, but they're 4-2. and two. They're winning, and that's the most important thing. I think the thing is with Boban is that his deficiencies and his strengths are both so glaringly obvious that uh, if one's not working, uh, the other one kind of takes over. So what I mean by that is you saw when he stepped on the floor, like in the Charlotte game, it's like they just ran pick and rolls at him all the time. And I think that you could live with that if we had a different coach, but Stan is a defensive-minded coach, and he hates getting scored on, and that's the one thing that Boban doesn't always do so well, and so that's why he's not seeing time. Now, I agree with Jamie and you know anyone who has eyes that John Luer is not the answer at, at backup five. Oh my god, he is playing very, very poorly. Yeah. Very poorly. <laughs> but the thing is, Van Gundy is so selective about that, because he's let R- Reggie Jackson get away with murder defensively. He's let Drummond, for you know three seasons, be absolutely abysmal as a team defender. So he seems to be super selective about the guys he applies that to. Now, two seasons ago, he had Baines to go to, who he really liked defensively, so I get that. But this season, it's like... How could Boban possibly be worse than Eric Moreland? Like, I, I don't see any scenario in which he's worse than Eric Moreland. I, I think, I, and Laz kind of touched on it, I, I think what you can do with Moreland is you can hide him better than you can with Boban. Um, like, Boban, you immediately can exploit in a pick and roll, and you can immediately get buckets on. Moreland, at least, like, athletically matched up with Dwight in the Charlotte game, and not saying he did a great job, but he at least like wasn't being exposed as frequently. So I think that's the benefit of having a guy like Moreland out there is that you can hide him a little bit easier than you can Boban. Yeah. See, Ben, like when you talked about Stanley, you talked about how Stanley, in order to score as little as he did, he'd have to hold his guy to a really low amount and how that wasn't realistic. Boban's kind of like the inverse of that, right? Where his matchup right. is maybe going to kill him on one end, but you're hoping that he scores 15 points in seven minutes. And so like then it bounces out that way. 
Yeah, and, but he isn't always in that negative defensively. He's only in that negative defensively in certain situations. That's true. And Those situations are becoming more and more common, though. That's like that's the direction the league is going. Yeah, that's true. That's why I'm saying like there's there's 40 or 50 games where I think you can play him, and I think you had an opportunity against Charlotte. I think you probably had an opportunity uh, against Washington because I don't think Gortat is you know a, a whole lot more mobile than Boban at this point in his career, but. We can move on from Boban. I, I think you got to use him when you can exploit other teams because he is a beast in the post. There's just no way around it. So, um, but if if we don't see him this season, it'll be uh, I'll be freeing Boban on my Twitter feed. But we don't have to talk about it every week either. Listen, they're just they're saving him for the postseason. Yeah. I'm I'm sticking I'm sticking by that take. They're saving him for the postseason. Secret weapon Boban. Secret weapon Boban. Get ready for it because it's a secret when he's seven three. Exactly. He's, you know, hidden in plain sight. Yeah, you literally can't hide him. That's, that's definitely can. true. Yeah. So He had to suck at hide and seek. Like, <laughs> as a child. For his whole life. Yeah. I mean, it's still now. He was play. born it's six feet suck. tall, I heard. <laughs> uh, no way. So my man never had to deal with not being able to ride a roller coaster. That's, <laughs> he missed out on such a life experience. Wait, miss, like not getting to ride a roller coaster is a life experience? Yeah, remember when you're like too short and you're like, damn, I can't ride that ride. And then you had to like build it up in your head for a whole year until you grew like two inches. Boban never dealt with that. Oh, man. It's a red flag right there. I always just went on the water rides instead. No height requirement on the water rides. They're like, if you drown, you drown. That's cool. That's, man, that is that is a very true statement and very wild. There is no height requirement on water rides. That's weird. So... I will say, though, if you drown, you drown kind of also applies to what Stan Van Gundy has done with Henry Ellenson at Power Forward. Um, Man, great segue. Thank you. I was hoping <laughs> that that would work. <laughs> that, that was nice. That was nice. <laughs> but, no, he's he's given him a lot of minutes, and he came out and said after the Minnesota game that he's done, that Henry has done everything the coaching staff has asked him to, and so now he's going to you know be in the rotation long term. And then... You hear that and you get really excited that, you know, we might actually get some return from this number 18 pick. And then, but whenever uh, there's a power forward that needs defending, Stan turns to Anthony Tolliver. Uh, he's turned to Tolliver to defend Chris Stops, uh, Ben Simmons, Blake Griffin last night. Ben, do you think that uh, Ellenson's deficiencies defensively make him a worse short-term answer at power forward than Anthony Tolliver? Well, I think the Pistons have to make the playoffs this season. So Stan Van Gundy can't afford to not make the playoffs. So he has to play the guys who are going to give him what he thinks are the best chance to win, especially when the game gets close in the end of the game. And I like Tolliver. I'm a fan of Tolliver. But this is certainly a delicate balance. I think Allenson has shown flashes that have surprised people this season. You know, last year when we did see him, I was not super optimistic. He looked too slow. He looked frumpy. He didn't look like his shot has this weird hitch in it, which it still kind of does. But this year, he's knocked down open shots. Uh, He looks like he's gained a step with his quickness. He looks a little stronger. He's not getting pushed around. So I'm glad that Ellenson's going to get minutes. But at the same time, I think it makes total and complete sense to go to Tolliver situationally, especially at the end of the game where you know you really need to get a stop. And as you mentioned, particularly in certain matchups where you know there's a power forward matchup that's difficult for a guy like Ellenson or a guy like Luer. So personally, I'm happy with the way Van Gundy has handled it because I think he's carved out a little bit 
bit of a niche and a little bit of a role for each guy. And I think each guy can be comfortable with that. They both sort of understand where they're at in their careers, right? So Tolliver understands that he's at the end of his career. His role is to knock down open shots when he gets them, but primarily it's it's to be the stopper as much as he can be, right? Um, and then Ellison gets a chance to play a little bit in the first half, knock down some shots and learn and grow and develop without the fear of getting yanked if he's not you know, performing optimally in, in any given night. So I, I think Van Gundy is walking the line and, and balancing this pr- particular predicament pretty well. Last night, he did give Ellenson a shot at Blake Griffin before Tolliver, and then Blake Griffin made Ellenson look like, or Ellenson made Blake Griffin look like he was like circa 2000 Shaquille O'Neal. Like he just walked all over him for a dunk at the rim. It was, it was bad. And then immediately SVG sat him down and went to Tolliver to take care of business. I think the thing that gets me the most about Ellenson is that when he rotates late, he does like this weird, uh, wacky inflatable tube man arm wave thing, and it's like, <laughs> oh man, it's like you, Dude, you can, it's really apparent that he's late. He on has defense. the best quirks and like idiosyncrasies out of anyone on the team. When he his hop to when he has an open shot, it's like he's trying to drive his feet as far into the ground as possible. He does this like pound stomp before he shoots. An open three, look for it next time, it's, it's wild. It's the weirdest hop I've ever seen. So, I mean, I agree, though. Like, this team should be a playoff team. And right now they look like a playoff team, and they have the, they have the record of a playoff team. But do you guys think they make the playoffs this year? I'll, I'll start. Yeah, I think they do. I think they're good enough, too. And I think we've seen enough from Reggie Jackson so far to let us know that he is – in a much better place than he was a year ago. And that really was the X factor. The second most important thing for me was Andre Drummond on offense. Was he going to be used differently, and would he embrace that different role? And the answer to those so far has been yes. I think, again, the thing about this team is when they lose, it's so badly, right? And when they win, they look when, they look fantastic. If you look at their splits from a season ago, you can see the kind of the same thing as you see in their splits this year. When they win, their offense is clicking, and they're one of the best defensive teams in the league. And they, they have like a 10 or 11 point margin. But when they lose, it's the exact opposite. When they lose, they lose badly. They can't hit a shot. Their assists go way down, and their defense plummets. Uh, I'd like to see them find a little bit more even keel. I think part of this is structure and system. Part of this is whenever you shoot three-pointers as much as Steve, uh, Stan Van Gundy and his scheme produce three-pointers, you're going to have some off nights. But yeah, I think they're good enough to make the playoffs. They're just going to be a little bit erratic here and there. And it wouldn't surprise me at all to see them at some point go, you know, lose seven out of 10 or something like that, and then bounce back and win the next seven out of 10, just because I think that's a bit of the nature of the roster in the system. In, in that playoff hunt, Jamie, does a team that's gotten off to a, an unexpected start like Orlando, who's 4-1, and one, or the Pacers, who just beat the Spurs like moments ago, do any of those teams kind of give you pause when you're thinking about if the Pistons are going to make the playoffs? No, or no, no, especially not Orlando. They're, I mean, they're, they're going to skyrocket back to earth in, in the worst way. There's no way Aaron Gordon can keep shooting. They're going to skyrocket back to earth? Yes. Is that how that yes. works? That, that's how that, in the Magic's case, because they're the Magic, yes, that's how it works. Well, it's going to be like one of Elon Musk's rockets, right? Like, exactly. gets 100 feet off the ground and then just SpaceX blows up. Skyrocket back to earth. I, Aaron Gordon was, what, shooting 86% from three, like, at the start of this past week? I, I just, there's no way it's sustainable. 
I think Fournier has been playing out of his mind. Vucevic is hitting threes left and right. I, I no, there's no way this lasts. It's it can't happen. Pacers, I actually I think they have a better shot of sticking around. Um, but I think honestly, with the way the rest of the East is looking, I think the Pistons could sneak in at like a fourth or a fifth seed. I, I I'm really high on what I've seen uh, from the Pistons thus far. Um, and you know, I think they're they're right there with the rest of the East. And the Cavs aren't looking like world beaters. Boston's not the same team as they were, you know, at the start of the season because of the Hayward injury. I think Washington looks for real. Milwaukee looks for real. And then after that, I mean, it's kind of it's kind of up in the air to me. I think they have a good shot. All right, I can't I can't argue with that. I think the the Raptors are for real. They just haven't shown it yet because they're trying to do a lot of different things. They're trying to shoot more threes. They're trying to increase the pace, and they're still playing all their kids off the bench. And I don't know how that long bench is last. so fun, so fun. I hope they keep playing those guys. I'm I'm as much of a fan of Daylon Wright as anybody else, but like I don't know <laughs> if that guy's gonna help you make the playoffs. You know? Right? Yeah, I I agree. I agree. So to close. I put it out on Twitter. I uh, wanted, wanted to get the pulse of the fan base, see if there was anything that the, the people really wanted to, to talk about. I shot you a retweet, too, so you, you hopped into my weird-ass bunch of followers. <laughs> I, I appreciate that. I appreciate that. But the, the big thing that I guess is on people's minds is Eric Bledsoe's availability. I personally I, – I get why Pistons fans are interested in Eric Bledsoe, but the amount that it would take to Hard get pass. him, yeah, it, it's Hard not pass. worth it. Uh, insert the emoji of the guy throwing trash into a bin. That's that's what I'm thinking on that trade idea. Well, so if you could if you could somehow convince McDonough to go like Bledsoe for Reggie Jackson straight up, that could work because Bledsoe makes less money for fewer years and is a better player, and so you'd win that trade. But when you start asking like, oh hey, let's throw in John Luer and like ask for Tyson Chandler and give them a first round pick and let's do some other stuff, it's like no, it just it's not gonna work. And the, we don't have any of the young assets the Suns are looking for in their rebuild. Yeah, when you skyrocket back to reality, it's it just makes <laughs> less sense. You like that? I do like that. Up is down in Phoenix. Yeah, exactly. Ben, ben, you have any thoughts on Bledsoe and uh, his potential as a Piston? Uh, I like Bledsoe a lot as a player. His durability is what gives me the most pause. Um, I think we have this, the questions about Avery Bradley and his durability right now, too. That in and of itself would make me hesitate because I don't think you can afford to have a 10-game stretch where both Bledsoe and Bradley have nagging injuries to deal with. I think it could get pretty ugly pretty quick in a scenario like that. But everything you just said is correct. The asking price is absurd, and there's just no reason for the Pistons to to go all in like that. Bledsoe's not a franchise player. He's a starting caliber point guard who's probably, you know, in the upper half of starting point guards. And... You know, if Reggie Jackson keeps playing the way he is, then Reggie Jackson is this is that same kind of player, right? So it would be an, an incremental upgrade at the very best. So it doesn't make any sense to include another role player and or a future pick, especially because he doesn't push you over any hump, right? Like, okay, so the Pistons become the fifth seed instead of the sixth seed. Well, who cares? That's that's not an important move for the Pistons the way they're currently constructed and where their long term plans are. So. I like Bledsoe a lot as a player, but I don't see a scenario in which it makes sense for the Pistons. That makes a lot of sense. He's going to the Nuggets. He's going to the Nuggets. Let's just. I was going to ask. I was going to ask you, Jamie, if you had like a prediction for where he would end up, and so you think it's Denver. Yeah, I mean, Moutier and 
Uh, Fareed have been, you know, itching to get out of town. And the way their offense has sputtered to start the year, man, let me tell you, betting against the Nuggets so far been a favorite hobby of mine. <laughs> I think Moutier and Fareed are gone. I think they figure out a package to bring Bledsoe in. I think he fits in with their offense nicely, and I think he gives them kind of the boost they need. I, I like the idea of Bledsoe in Milwaukee. I just don't know if you could, you know, force the Suns to accept like Matthew Della Vadova's contract and like some other stuff to make. I I also don't think Bledsoe makes sense in their offensive scheme. I mean, Bledsoe's kind of a guy who, similar to Reggie, needs the ball in his hand, and right now the no, he's mis he's miscast as that. Remember when he when he began his career, it was next to Chris Paul, kind of like in that off ball role, and that's that's where he thrived. Not necessarily as a guy who like needs the ball in his hand but okay fair enough but he's he thrived as a slasher and i think you have a guy in milwaukee who is killing everyone like driving to the rim right now in giannis so how does how does bledsoe fit into that that equation i i just think i don't think it makes as much sense as a place like denver where he has a little more freedom on, on offense that's fair i can i can definitely see that that makes a lot of sense all right guys that's it. There's no more topics on the Whoa. agenda. We are good. We are uh, we are under 45 minutes, which is what I was hoping for. Mm-hmm. I hope the fans appreciate that as they're you know Wait. going through your commute on your busy day. Wait, real what's up, quick, Jamie? free? Does, do the do the listeners want free money? Because Monday lines are up, and I will pass out free winners for everyone if they want them. Are you the Sandman? I I am. I am. Um, <laughs> I want to hear this just for if no other reason you get something horribly wrong, oh, I can throw listen, it back in your face. It's it's going to happen. All right. San Antonio <laughs> plus three in Boston. Take that. Denver minus three and a half in New York. Take that. And then lastly, I'm going to go with Toronto plus two late night game in Portland. Take that. Three automatic winners. Everyone send thank you gifts to at Jamie underscore Delancey on Twitter. Uh, Toronto, Portland. That'll be a fun game to watch, if nothing else, while your money flushes down the toilet because you listen to Jamie about gambling. Listen, <laughs> I'm just telling you, these are free winners. Take them or leave them. All right, ben, where, where can the people find you and talk to you about Boban and your shared love? <laughs> yeah, you can always find me on Twitter, uh, brgulker. That's the best place to connect with me. Yeah, free Boban is going to be... In those games where we are getting pounded by a backup center, which is inevitably going to happen because it always does to the Pistons, uh, that free bomb on hashtag is going to make an appearance. Uh, I'm your host, Lazarus Jackson. You can find me on Twitter at LazChance, L-A-Z-C-H-A-N-C-E. Uh, you can find all of us uh, during the week at DetroitBadBoys.com. And uh, thanks for listening, everyone. Go Lions. Good night. Go Lions. <laughs>